Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Good morning, Mission Church. How we doing? 845 is alive. That rhymed. That's too cheesy. I'm not going to use that again. Okay. Uh, hey, you're in for a treat this morning. Last night was powerful. Uh, I hope you have some tissues ready. Uh, we laughed. We cried. We uh, felt called to more. It was an amazing night. Uh, and so we got two more services this morning. Uh, Philip Pattison, uh, somebody who is a part of our church, a part of the family, uh, leads this amazing organization, ministry titled uh, Foster the City. And uh, been at our church for about a year. And we were out to, um, uh, hanging out for a little bit, talking. And I was like, man, you got to share this story. And I'd love for you to preach on a Sunday to our church. And so I'm so thankful uh, for an organization like this that is just so close to the heart of God, yeah. taking care of foster kids in our area. Started it in our area, and now it's just expanded all over the place. I'll let him tell you more. But last night was amazing. I'm such a huge fan and respect this man so much. Give it up for the man, the myth, the legend, Philip Pattison. Come on. Hey, good morning, Mission Church. Man, it is uh, so, so good to be here. I have had this date circled on my calendar for quite a while. I've been so looking forward to coming. Um, as, let me tell you why. As Pastor Tyler said, my name is Philip. I'm with Foster the City. Uh, Foster the City really is just a, it's a movement of churches just like Mission that are working together to, to provide loving homes for kids that are coming into foster care. Um, and part of my role with Foster the City is I get the chance to go and I get to share with churches and invite folks in. Um, but today is special because I don't just get to share with a church, I get to share with my church, uh, which is awesome. So <laughs> as Pastor Tyler said, about a year ago, my family and I made uh, Mission Church our home church, and um, we absolutely love this community. Uh, I was sharing with the folks last night that like just a couple months ago, I remember we were sitting right over there in a service, and my middle school daughter... Uh, leaned over and whispered. She's like, Dad, this is like a perfect church. Um, and, which, right? Uh, which, we know there's no perfect church out there, but it was just, it, it was exactly what we've been praying for. This is exactly the kind of community that we, we've needed and what we've been praying for. And so we love this church, and we're so, I'm so stoked to be able to share with you today. Enough of that. Uh, let me tell you what I want to talk about. Um, I want to share something with you that I, that I think is really near to the heart of God. Um, and because it's near to the heart of God, I know it's near to the heart of Pastor Rachel, Pastor Tyler, and to mission as a whole. Um, today, I want to talk about um, the remarkable compassion of God. Okay, that's what I kind of titled the conversation today. Okay, I want to take kind of a, a lingering look, if we could, at um, the, the remarkable compassion of God and the compassion that he's calling you and me into. Um, just so we're on the same page, though, right at the gate, let me tell you what I mean uh, when I say that. You look at the word compassion, and you have com, C-O-M, right? And you have passion. And we know passion, like the passion of the Christ, like passion means to suffer. Did you know that? Passion means to suffer. Com, like community or communal, C-O-M, that means with. So compassion means to suffer with. In other words, to, to be with those who are suffering. To move towards them in their need. That's, that's what compassion means. And again, this is something that's really near to the heart of God, isn't it? Um, when we open up the scriptures, uh, we, we know every, every person on this planet is loved, right? God loves every... For God so loved the... World. Well done. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are awake. That's good. God so loved the world. He loves every person, every man, woman, a child across the Bay Area and beyond. And yet, I, I can't help but feel like when I open up the scriptures... 
that there are, um, there are some people maybe that make the top of his list. He loves everybody. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but there are, when you open up the scriptures, I just can't help but shake the feeling like there are some people that have a special place in his heart. Do you know who they are? It's the orphan. It's the widow. It's the, uh, uh, the sojourner, the immigrant. And it's the poor. You see it all throughout the scriptures, don't you? Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, you see it all throughout the scriptures. I'll give you just a glimpse, okay? Start, starting right from the very beginning of the scriptures, you go to the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy, it says this. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And then you just keep reading after the Torah. You, then you hit the Psalms. This is what the psalmist says. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Then you flip over just a few pages. You hit the wisdom books. The, the right over the Proverbs says this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. And then you just keep going and you hit the prophets. This is what Isaiah says. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And then you hit the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. And right from the mouth of Jesus, he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then the early church is born. The first followers of Jesus Come and they unite and James, the the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I could keep going and going and going. Here's my point. All throughout the scriptures, it is crystal clear what God's heart is towards the vulnerable. And because, listen, because remarkable compassion is a defining characteristic of God. Compassion has been a defining characteristic of God's people since the beginning. Um, 2,000 years of church history, there's a lot you could say about the church. Some positive, not so much, right? Let's be honest. However, if you take an objective look at history, it is undeniable, time and again, God's people have moved in remarkable compassion. We have moved into places of brokenness, gone into places of of injustice and brought healing and hope. That is what we have done time and time and time again. You don't believe me? Let me give you a few examples. Um, Did you know that the, um, the first known hospital in every nation across the planet was started by the church? Isn't that crazy? The first known hospital in every nation across the globe were started by Christians. If you look at um, education reform and uh, prison reform and and women's rights and uh, the abolition of slavery and civil rights and the list could go on and on and on, trace the roots back to the church. This is what we do. This is what we do as the people of God is we move forward in remarkable compassion. And guys, the same is true with foster care. Um, Let me tell you about a, a guy named Charles Brace. Anybody heard of Charles Brace? Probably not. Okay, so Charles Brace, with a couple of you, actually, that's awesome. Uh, So Charles Brace was born back in the 1800s, the northeastern part of the U.S., uh, grew up in a Christian home, placed his faith in Jesus when he was real young. Uh, When he was a teenager, was sitting in church, just like you are today. 
uh, listening to a message uh, from his pastor. And the pastor said something that just completely shifted kind of the trajectory of his life. Um, this is basically what the pastor said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase. This is what he said. He said, when we stop to remember all that God has done for us in our times of need, when we see those in need around us now, it's impossible for us to believe we don't have some level of responsibility to do something. Can I say that one more time? I feel like I could say a little better. Let me try again. Um, when we stop to remember, when we stop to consider all that God has done for us in our need, it's impossible for us to believe we don't have some responsibility, some obligation to do something when we see those in need around us. That just made a lot of sense to Charles. So a few years would go by, he'd be in New York City, he was going to go become a pastor. He was in Bible school, he was in seminary. And so in mid-20s, he's in a seminary, and he takes a, one day went for a walk through the streets of New York, walked into a neighborhood he'd never been in before, a neighborhood called Five Points. You heard of Five Points? It's because you watch gangs in New York, huh? <laughs> Can we admit that here? Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, so Five Points was a, was a neighborhood at the time in the 1800s that was known for its crime and its poverty and its prostitution and its gang violence. And when, he, and when he walked into that neighborhood, he said that his heart just melted, his heart broke. Because what he saw in front of him were a bunch of children. There were a bunch of kids living in these really like unsafe, unstable, unhealthy environments. He said that when he walked into that neighborhood, his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he realized, man, in light of all that God has done for me when I was in need, I have to do something with what I see in front of me. And he did. He got some of his buddies together. Uh, they started, they, they called it the Children's Aid Society, which, by the way, is, is uh, still going on today. You can look them up 150 years later. The Children's Aid Society started like all kinds of programs that dealt like at a, at a, at a root systemic level with, with what they were seeing in Five Points and other neighborhoods in New York. And so they started the first ever free school lunch programs. Uh, they started uh, schools for kids who were disabled. They started the first free dental clinics for kids in the area. Uh, they, started, uh, they started the first uh, Parent Teachers Association. Anybody been a part of PTA? Yeah, you can blame Charles for that one. Okay? They started P the PTA. Isn't that cool? But most notably, they, they started what we call in America foster care. They started the modern foster care system. They would help these kids who were living in these really broken environments, unhealthy, unsafe environments, find a stable home to live in while the biological parents took the necessary steps to create a healthy environment, and then the families were restored back together in health and in strength. What morphed and evolved from, you know, the Children's Aid Society 150 years ago is today the modern foster care system. So I want to make sure, we're, like, the father of modern foster care was a pastor. He was a Christian. And, and, and they started the foster care system with the motivation that in light of all that God has done for us, he brought us in when we were in need. Now we get to do the same for those around us. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Guys, like, that's, that is, that's the legacy of God's people. That's our history as the church. Um, but actually... Uh, our our kind of history of and our uh, kind of legacy of, of working alongside vulnerable children actually goes further back than that. Maybe some of you are aware of this. Um, we have uh, historical records that talk to us about um, 
Uh, it's an ancient Greco-Roman tradition. When, when, a, when a child would be born into a Roman family, they would often do this tradition where they, they would place the child down at the feet of its dad. And if the father, in this tradition, bent down and picked up the kid, everybody around would, would cheer and celebrate. The, the child was legitimized, uh, welcomed into that family. Uh, it, was, it was beautiful. That's, actually, that's where we get the term raising our kids. It's from that tradition. Um, the problem is sometimes the dad like, didn't stoop down to pick up the kid. Um, maybe the child uh, was sick. Maybe, maybe the baby uh, wasn't the preferred gender of that day. If for whatever reason the dad didn't pick up the kid, instead what they would do is they'd take the child outside of the city and be left alone to die. It was a completely legal, common, accepted practice. They call it infant exposure. One of a few things would happen to that child. Obviously, obviously the child might, might die from starvation or from animals or whatnot. Um, or the child might actually get picked up by Slave traders. It was not uncommon for slave traders to go around and, and find these kids um, and, and, and eventually sell them off into slavery, especially because so many of them were girls. Um, completely common and accepted practice. Heartbreaking, isn't it? We also have historical records that tell us how the early church responded to that. We're told in the record books how early followers of Jesus would go outside of the city and they would walk up and down the streets outside of the city listening for the cries of kids. And when they'd find these kids, they would bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own beloved sons and daughters. Guys, that, that is the legacy of the church. That, that's our history. And, and why I'm so stoked to be here at Mission today is because like, that wasn't just meant to... That wasn't meant to be just indicative of who, of who we once were. That's meant to be true of who we are today. We are still to be a people of remarkable compassion. Um, the difference, though, is you and I don't have to walk up and down the streets of Walnut Creek. We don't have to walk up and down the streets of the East Bay listening for the cries of kids to find out who needs help. <laughs> the, the state of California has told us where we can find them. Um, my wife and I uh, started fostering about, um, one second here, about uh, eight years ago, and started welcoming in these kids, uh, kids who had been uh, neglected or abused and had to be separated from their biological families for a season, and um, honestly, these kids and getting to know their families honestly just broke our heart, and uh, I was pastoring a, a small church at the time, I was pastoring a church down in the South Bay, down in San Jose, uh, we were a tiny little church, about a hundred of us meeting in a senior center, um, and uh, so as our hearts were just beginning to break for these kids, we just thought, man, what would it look like if we would actually invite our church to join us in caring for vulnerable kids? What if we did this together as a community? And so I, one morning, um, about, again, about eight years ago, uh, stood in front of the church, and we just cast that vision. We reminded our people of the gospel about how God, I mean, this is what we're celebrating at Christmas, right? It's that when, when our world is falling apart, when everything was dark and broken and felt hopeless, God didn't keep his distance from us, but he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He moved towards us in the person of Jesus. So we talked about that as a church. We talked about what, what would it look like for us to do the same for the vulnerable around us. Um, and so we started to take steps as a small community. We began to build relationships with social workers. Um, so it wasn't long before a social worker asked uh, to, to have a meeting. And so we sat down in my uh, little office and uh, and she said, all right, Philip, um, we like working with your church. This is cool. Um, she said, but let me, 
kind of give you the reality of the situation. She said, like, right now, in the Bay Area, we are in an emergency crisis. Um, she said there are far more kids coming into foster care today than there are homes that are ready to help them. And that's not just a South Bay thing, by the way. That's across the Bay Area. Every county in the Bay Area, that's true. In Contra Costa County, about a third of the kids that come into foster care are sent out of the county due to a deficit of homes. About one out of three kids, simply because there aren't enough homes. If you're from Alameda County, that actually is more like 50%. Okay? So across the Bay Area, there's, we don't have nearly enough homes. She said, we're in crisis. And she said, honestly, the crisis is bigger than your church. She said, do you think that there might be other churches that might want to come together, like link arms together and help us address that crisis? Turn that upside down. And guys, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way churches like Mission have responded to that. Um, What started with one little church in a senior center is today 277 churches that have linked arms together. Isn't that awesome? It's, It's because of leaders like Pastor Tyler and Pastor Rachel. It's because of churches like Mission. 277 churches that are raising up foster parents, that are raising up support teams to support foster parents. And we're going to keep doing it until there's more than enough to meet the need. Right? Our, our, our vision is that one day there would be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids in need of a home. And that it's going to be the church on the front lines making that happen. And Jesus is going to make headlines. That, that's our hope and our prayer. Um, I, I, I do hope that perhaps God stirs in some of your hearts. And, and I'll, you know, I'll share with you ways you can get involved before we're done today. But um, what I want to do, honestly, with the rest of our time is I want to share with you a few reasons why I think we're seeing churches say yes to this. Why I think we're seeing Christian families that are, that are moving towards vulnerable kids. I want to share with you three reasons. Um, can I pause, though, for a second? Before I do that, can I just say, let me make one comment. Um, foster care is not for everybody, okay? Can I just say that? Can we all breathe a little bit? Everybody just breathe. It's all right. Um, let's just breathe. Um, but listen, foster care is not for everybody. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, remarkable compassion is for you. Okay, that's actually not up for debate. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. Because Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion, didn't he? And so as his followers, we follow in his footsteps. That's the kind of life we're to lead. But foster foster care is but one expression of compassion. There there are countless expressions of, of compassion. That's why at Mission we do serve days. And we serve in various ways around the community. That's why we go down to Mexico and we build houses for the, the, the unhoused. That's why we, we give generously here to Mission. I, I hope it's okay that I say this. I didn't tell Pastor Tyler I was going to say this. But do you know that Mission actually supports Foster the City uh, financially? I've never asked him, but, but Pastor Tyler reached out to me earlier this year and said, hey, we want to start investing in this work. We want to see more families raised up, more churches mobilized. We want to invest in this. How do we do that? Um, well, I want you to know that as you give to mission, your generosity is directly linked to the lives of vulnerable children in the East Bay. Okay, so I, there's all kinds of ways we can move towards the vulnerable together. Um, foster care is but one expression of that. But however God might be calling you to get involved and to move forward in compassion, I do think the three, the three kind of core motivators I'm about to share with you, I do think can serve kind of as a foundation and fuel for a life of compassion. All right, so fo- even if foster care is not on your radar, stay with me. All right, sound good? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Here is our first um, core motivator, first core reason why I, think, um, why I think churches and families are saying yes. It's because we believe, as followers of Jesus, we believe that every person has intrinsic value. Yeah. You believe that? Yeah. Um, 
one of the things we love about mission uh, is um, there's people from all walks of life here. Um, I see uh, we got we got older folks, more experienced folks. We've got younger folks. I see a little baby right here to my left. Absolutely darling. It's hard not to be distracted. It's so cute. Um, hey, let me let me take a minute and, and actually say something to some of the um, to some of the moms and dads. Um, we have been we've actually been learning a whole lot about what happens in the in the the mind and the heart of a, of a baby, e- e- even as as young as this little one here, like from the very earliest of ages. Neu- neuroscience. We're going to school today for a minute, okay? Neuroscientists <laughs> call this attachment theory. We're learning all kinds of what's hap- what, what is happening in the, in the brain of a child at the very earliest of ages. So listen, when this little one cries, when, you, when your baby cries, they're reaching out for help. They're in need. They're reaching out for help. And, and this little one, she just came in. I'm sorry, we're talking about you guys. <laughs> um, when, when your little one cries um, and you come and you meet that, baby in their need. You, you pick that little one up, you hold her tight, you bring her warmth, right, because she was cold, or you rock her back to sleep, or you feed her, right? When you meet that little one in her need, we're learning that there are things that are firing off in that child's brain. They're learning things even from the very earliest of ages. You want to know what, they, what, what they're learning? They're learning, I'm loved, I matter, I'm valuable, and I can trust someone. Those are the things that are being affirmed for that child. I must be loved. I must be lovable. I must be valuable. I must matter. And I can trust someone outside of myself. On the flip side, of course, when a child cries and that need is not met, it's met with neglect, or it's met perhaps with, um, with, with anger or frustration, the, the inverse is affirmed for that child. They're learning, I must not be loved. I must not matter, and I can't trust anybody. The last eight years, I have watched family after family after family turn their life upside down and, and, and bring these children into their homes, kids who had been neglected, kids who had been abused, and, 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 and meet these kids day in and day out in their knees and affirm to them what is true. No, 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 you, you are loved. You matter. And there is someone outside of yourself that you can trust. Ultimately, there's a God that you can trust. The book of Genesis says that we are, we are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of the living God. We have value. The book of Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 1, says that uh, Paul says, God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a minute. He spoke you forth from before the foundation of the world. That means that, that the moment when your mom and your dad came together and you were, you were conceived, you were put, that's gross, hang with me for a minute, you were, you were put into being, you were conceived. That moment your mom and dad came, if Ephesians 1 is true and God spoke you forth from before the foundation of the world, that, that means that, that your moment of conception was second in your story. Well, what came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God before time and space began. Um, the book of Isaiah says that we are precious to God in his sight. Precious. You are precious to God. Every person has intrinsic value. 
Um, I have a buddy who's a, a foster dad. His name is Chris. And uh, Chris tells a story about uh, one time where he needed a, a, or he got a call for a child who needed a, a, a placement. And so he's on the phone with the social worker, and he's like, man, I already have kids in the home right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about this little guy before I say yes? I want to make sure he's going to be a good fit for my family. And they're like, well, we don't know much about him yet. He's, he's brand new to the system. Uh, they said, we know one thing, though. We know he's a biter. <laughs> my buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what is he biting? <laughs> and he's like, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. Um, but he said as soon as that thought hit him, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. Like truth started flooding back into his mind. And he said, I realized, I realized that the term biter um, is an incomplete description of a child. Biter is an inadequate, incomplete description of a human being. Why? Because we are more than the worst things we've done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. That's not just true for kids in foster care. That's true for you. And again, I, you, you might have needed to come to the 845 service today here at Mission just to hear that one. You need to be reminded of that one truth. I'll say it one more time. Please hear me. You are more than the worst things that you've ever done. And you're more than the worst things that have been done to you. God loves you. He loves you. And he proved that, didn't he? It's not just something we read about. It's not just something we sing about. It's not just something we hope for. He loves you. He proved it. God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you determine the value of something? You determine the value of something by what someone's willing to pay for it, right? What was God willing to pay? God proves his love. Uh, that brings you to our second kind of core motivator, our core reason for why we're seeing churches and families say yes to these kids. Um, uh, and that's this. We believe as followers of Jesus that their story is our story. Their story is, is my story. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little biased here, granted. Uh, but uh, I think that there, there might be no time in your life when you are more um, like God. Like God godly than in the, the moments when you open up your heart to someone in need. Because that's what he did for us, didn't he? Again, that's what Christmas is all about. Um, there was a time in, in, in my life when I was, I felt alone and I was hurting and honestly I was scared and uh, I thought because of all of the junk, all of the wounds from my past that I lost any hope for my future. And I was, when I was in that like, incredibly low and dark season of my life, God met me there. And, and, and he brought me into his family and he gave me hope for my future. Is that your story? Um, Ephesians, again, I'm going to bring you back to Ephesians 1. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Let's, let's read this. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I love this. This is not plan B, plan C, plan D. It's plan A. It's what he decided in advance. 
It's not just something he's willing to do. It's something that he wants to do. Now, listen, uh, we're fairly new to mission still. We're still about, about a year in, still getting to know people. I don't know most of your stories. Um, one thing I do know about mission, though, is that uh, mission is the kind of community where every week there are people here that just feel safe to just explore. Like every weekend, there are people in the, this, the people in this room right now that are just here to ask questions. You're exploring who is God? What is faith? What is Christianity? Who is Jesus? Is this real? Um, is this worth my time? Is this worth putting any investment in? I know you're here asking questions. Um, it, let me just speak to you for a minute, if I could. Uh, you, you might even be, be to the, at this place where as you're exploring and you're asking these questions, maybe you're even at this place, even if there is a God, even if there is, would he want someone like me? After all the things that I've done and the places that I've been time and time and time again, even if there is a God out there, would he want someone like me? If that's you today, I am begging you to read that verse. Can we put that back up there? Not only, listen, not only is God willing to welcome you in as his daughter or as his son, to give you his family name, to give you hope for your future, not only is he willing to do it, he wants to. You see it? He wants to do it. It would bring him great pleasure, great joy to actually welcome you in to his family. Um, I feel like as a, uh, a foster and our adoptive dad, like I feel like, I've, like God's just given us like a little, like just a little taste of that verse. The, the, the pleasure of what it's like to, to welcome a little one or welcome a kiddo into your family. And these kids we brought in, it brought a ton of laughter, a ton of great memories. Lots of joy. The, the, the most recent uh, kiddo that we brought in, she, she came in at two and a half months old. Itty bitty. And uh, we fostered her for four years. Um, her story was a little bit different than the kids we'd fostered in the past. Because the kids we'd fostered before, uh, they'd all returned back home. Which is the goal in foster care. Like we want to see families restored back together in health and strength whenever possible. Right? We serve a God of reconciliation. Yes. Right? So we're called to be... Uh, I think it's is it Hebrews, agents of reconciliation. We get a partner with God in that yeah. to help people work towards restoration, reconciliation. So the kiddos we'd fostered in the past all returned back home, which is great. This little girl we found out was not gonna, that was not going to be possible. The judges, the social workers said she's not going to have a home to return to. And so after four years of fostering, uh, we moved from being her foster family to her forever family. We got to adopt her. Yep, it's awesome. We got a picture right here, actually. And this is us here. Uh, that's our adoption day during COVID. So we're in our living room on Zoom. Uh, I show you that picture. That's her right there in the middle. Isn't she cute? Um, I show you that picture because I do think she's absolutely darling. And I also want to show off my color-coded bookcases. Um, somebody's got to appreciate it. I put a lot of work into that. <laughs> um, hey, can I show you one more, one more thing about this uh, picture, though? Um, so, uh, my wife and I will have been married for 20 years next month, which is crazy. Don't clap for that. It just means we're old. Don't clap for that. Um, so, uh, when we were young, uh, when we were young, we had all this time on our hands, right? No kids we're in our, you know, early twenties. Uh, and so one of the things we would do together at night, we would read books together at night. We would like read book series. And so one of the series we read together uh, was the Chronicles of Narnia. Any Narnia fans? Yeah. Um, 
if you're, if you're not familiar with Narnia, it kind of centers around these, uh, starts with, around these four kids, uh, the brother, two brothers and two sisters. You got Peter, you got Susan, you got uh, Edmund, and you got Lucy, right? And so early on in a marriage, right, no kids were like, just kind of talking after reading, like, oh, that would be a great number of kids to have. Two boys, two girls, brothers, sisters, uh, two brothers, two sisters, and, uh, and um, you know, we can't plan that kind of stuff, but that would be cool. That'd be ideal. Um, and, but wouldn't you know it? Go throw the picture back up there. Uh, wouldn't you know, as we start popping out kids, as my wife starts popping out kids, um, <laughs> we end up having a boy and then a girl. And a boy. We had our Peter. We, had our, we didn't name him this. Don't worry about that. We're not that weird. We're not that into Narnia. Uh, but, we, <laughs> but we did. We had our Peter. We had our Susan. We, we had our Edmund. We were just missing our little Lucy. And uh, we used to, so as we kind of got into this kind of foster care journey, like, you know, maybe at one point there's going to be a little girl that needs a, a forever home and we'll, we'll, we'll find our little Lucy someday. And so as the years went on, we actually even, my, my kids even started praying, God, like, bring us our Lucy. God, bring us our Lucy. This became kind of a common theme with our family. God, bring us our Lucy. So one day years ago, I got a, um, several years ago, I got a call from my wife as at work and she said, hey, there's a, a little girl that needs a, needs a, a foster home. And um, would you come meet me at the county building after work? I said, sure, better down there. Before we even walked in, she said, guess what her name is? Her name is Lucy. <laughs> so we got, and that, that ended up being the little girl that needed a forever home. And so we actually got this little girl in our home that, that we'd prayed for by name for years and years. Now, can I tell you, um, so for, for years after now, I've, 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 I've kind of thought about that. Um, She's seven now. Uh, she's playing in Mission Kids right now. <laughs> and um, I've, I've thought, gosh, what's the significance of that? Uh, is it just that, you know, God has a great sense of humor? And he hears our prayers. And um, more I've thought about it, here's what I'm realizing. Like, that little girl, her name matters. She's not just one of, like, the thousands of kids in foster care in the Bay Area. She's not just a number. She has a name. And she has a story. Um, and just like Lucy, every one of these kids, every number has a name. Every name has a story. And their stories matter to God, don't they? And because their stories matter to God, their stories matter to us as a people of God. Um, I'm sorry, I went way off track. I'm not sending in my notes, so let me... Um, That little girl, though, uh, I said she's seven now. Every morning, without fail. Uh, so I have, a, I, have a little, I have a little spot in our family room. I have, a, I have a little chair that I sit in. That's where I do my quiet time in the morning. And every single morning, when that little girl wakes up from, from her bed, she comes running through the living room into the family room, and she comes and jumps in my lap and totally interrupts my quiet time. And I absolutely love it. <laughs> I look forward to it, actually. Um, but she comes, and she comes running in and totally interrupts me. And... Uh, Going back to Ephesians 1, where it says that God is not only willing, he wants to bring you into his family, and it brings him great pleasure. When I stop to think about that, and I think about the pleasure that I experience, the pleasure and the joy that I feel, the, the affections that I feel for my daughter as she comes and runs and jumps into my lap, that maybe, just maybe, God feels that same affection for me. That's what that verse is talking about. That pleasure, that affection, he feels that for you. Um, but when... when when God brought us into his family, it came with pleasure. It came with joy. But it also came with something else, didn't it? To bring us into his family didn't just come with pleasure. It also came with sacrifice. 
right? In Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's joy and there's a cross. In the same way, when you and I live lives of remarkable compassion, there will always, always, always be a cost involved. There will always be a cross. Um, when, when, when people hear about foster the city, when they, when they hear, um, you know, that our family fosters, this is oftentimes the, the, the response that we get. They're like, oh, that's so cool you guys do that. Uh, I could never do that. <laughs> they Like, isn't that hard? They're like, what, what if the kids that come into your home, like, what if they act out? Like, what if they've gone through some hard things and what if they have some behavior? So what if they act out? Isn't that hard? Do you want to know the answer to that? Yeah, it can be hard. Here's the reality, guys. All of us, all of us act out of the trauma we've experienced in life. We all, every person in this room, you act out of the hard things you've walked through to some degree. The reality is sometimes kids in foster care have gone through more significant hard things than you and I have. So will they act out? Sometimes, not always, not always, but sometimes. And that can be hard. On the flip side, we, uh, we hear from people, we, uh, they say, you know, isn't it, what if you get attached? What if they come into your home and you're, you're caring for them for months as if they're your own flesh and blood or years even? And then like you, you fall in love with them. And then one day you just, they get picked up by a social worker and go back home and you never see them again. Is that not hard? You want to know the answer to that? Of course it's hard. <laughs> We're not cold hearted robots. <laughs> We're not robots. Like, of course it's hard. Um, the first little girl we brought into our home, she was four months old. We had her for about a year, just under a year. Um, she, she took her first steps in our living room. Um, her first words were, were calling me dada. Um, very quickly became like a sister to my, to my biological kids. Absolutely fell in love with this little girl. Um, but in the year that we were falling in love with her, we were also getting to know her biological parents. Um, there, there, was a, there was a reason why their little girl was with us. They had made some mistakes. Um, but, but, but her parents were doing everything that they possibly could to bring their little girl back home. And so after, after about a year or so, the judge said, all right, it's time, gave the, gave the green light. And so I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her dad at my front door. Um, my son, my oldest son, told me it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry. Now I cry all the time. <laughs> But we wept that day and the next day. Like, of course it hurts. But, but we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good, right? Because yeah. <laughs> compassion's not about you. Yeah. And it's not about me. I, I have a buddy, he says, you, you don't foster to, to get a child for your family. You foster to give your family to a child. Yeah. You see the difference? And again, that's, that's not just true with foster care. That's true with any expression. You don't show compassion to get something for yourself, like to be able to you know, feel a little bit better when you put your head on the pillow at night or to get that nice pat on the back from those near you. You don't show compassion to get something for yourself. You show compassion to give yourself to something. And if we are willing to do that, to embrace like the, the joys and the pleasures of that and the, 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 the cross, the sacrifice, it's incredible to think about the impact. I'm up against it on time. Third, third core kind of motive or core reason. And that's this, that our investment in the lives of vulnerable children can bring long-term impact. Here's what I mean. I'll make this quick. Uh, as you can imagine, kids who grow up without a stable, you know, safe, healthy environment are far more susceptible to all kinds of other issues as they grow up, as they get older. 
Okay, so for kids who, who age out of the system, if they're not placed into a loving, stable home, about half will be unemployed in their 20s, a third will spend time on the streets, about half will develop a substance addiction, uh, more than half develop PTSD. I could keep going. Guys, listen, a kid in foster care um, is twice as likely to develop PTSD as a war veteran that's been shot at. Twice as likely. Okay, we could keep going. Like, uh, the, the FBI did a study several years ago. They said that about 60%, 6-0, of the kids that they're rescuing from human trafficking today come directly from the foster care system. We could just keep going. Here's my point. Here's what we're realizing. Like, we, we realize that, like, we need churches like Mission and organizations and individuals like you, like, addressing these things when people are in the midst of it. Like, we need groups like, like IJM who are busting down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked right now. We need people in the tenderloin in the city who are helping those who are unhoused or who need, need job training. We, we need people who are like, we need more of that. But what if in addition to addressing those things while people are in it, we also go upstream and we care for kids before they ever enter into those issues? What would the stats in the Bay Area look like in 15 years, 20 years, if every single child that came into foster care today was immediately placed into a loving home? Um, it's, it sounds cheesy. It sounds cliche. But we say the best way to see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for vulnerable kids today. It's true. It's true. And I do hope that perhaps God might be calling some of you uh, to be a part of that. Um, I'm going to skip the video. I had a video I was going to share. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm kind of up against it on time. I got a little too long-winded here. Let me, let me kind of wrap up here with just a couple minutes. Um, so there are some ways you could get involved if you are, if you feel like God's heart is, uh, excuse me, if, if God is stirring in your heart. Um, one of those ways you could actually get involved with Foster City, if you're interested, is to become a foster parent. Is to actually explore what it would look like. There, there is a profound need, if I haven't already made that clear today, for more foster families in the East Bay. You could explore what that might look like for, for you and your family. There are others of you, though, here today, well, like, that's just not, that's not the season of life you're in. You just can't do that. I want you to know there's another role that you can play. Because our, our movement of churches, we're not just raising up foster parents. We're raising up support for foster families. Let me tell you why. One of the primary reasons why there's a shortage of foster families today is because families don't last very long. Foster families don't last long. Nationwide, they did a study. They said only about half of foster families will make it past their first year. Because it's hard for all the reasons we've talked about today. Okay, but what changes that is if a foster family takes their journey in the context of community. If they have people that will come alongside them and support them. They, they did another study to say, to actually try to figure out why are these families dropping out. And you know what the study said? The number one reason for dropout is because families feel alone. They feel alone. And so we're not just raising up foster parents. For every foster family that we raise up, we try to wrap them with at least four households that we call them support friends, that will come alongside and provide practical and emotional and spiritual support. So they're bringing meals. They're babysitting so that the parents can go out and get a date night and keep their marriage alive. They're, they're showing up and they're mowing lawns. We had, a, we had a, um, a support friend, my family and I, that sent a cleaner to our house every month. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's, can you come alongside and help provide some extra capacity just so they can keep caring for these kids well? Maybe that's a role that you could play. Um, Support friends help families foster longer and better. Um, 
If you're interested in getting involved with, with Foster the City in any way, maybe you just even are curious, want to know how to pray, your next step is the same. If you want to learn about fostering or being a support friend or knowing how to pray or just you're curious, come to the table out in the courtyard, fill out this next step card. And if you do, you have my word. We will not drop a foster kid off to your house tomorrow. I swear it. <laughs> All we're going to do is send you an email. We're going to send you an email. And we're going to tell you about an interest meeting we have coming up. This is about, they're about an hour long. We break these down a little bit more in detail, these different roles you could play. You can explore what it would look like for your family. Uh, we talk about each of these roles and others. Uh, we actually have these interest meetings happening virtually. We've got them happening in person all around the Bay Area. Um, we, uh, we, we even have one come up here in, in three days. We got one happening right here at Mission on the 13th. Oh, yeah, you could put that up there. We'd love for you to come. But if you fill out this next step card, we're going to send you an email where you can register. Does that sound good? All right, let me close with this. Um, as I said, foster care is not for everybody. Foster the city is not for everybody. Okay, it's just one expression of compassion. Um, the, 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 the question that I hope each one of us would walk away with today is this. Am I living a life of remarkable compassion? Whatever that expression might be whether that's getting involved with foster care, if that's getting involved, if it's giving here at Mission, if it's, if it's getting involved with some other organization, if it's simply just moving towards that person in your life that's struggling, that you've kind of been avoiding. Am I living a life of compassion? Um, I, 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 I began our time by telling you what the word compassion means. Can I finish by telling you what the word remarkable means? Remarkable means you're able to remark on it. In other words, it's worth talking about. That's what remarkable means. The, the opposite of, of remarkable is not bad. The opposite of remarkable is fine, average. So like, like when, I, I, when I fly, we, 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 Foster City's happening in Southern California now too. And so when I fly back and forth, my wife will often ask like, uh, hey, how was your flight? Not, it's fine. In other words, it wasn't remarkably bad. It wasn't remarkably good. It's not worth talking about. The problem is some of us are living lives of compassion that are not worth talking about. They're fine. Just look like everybody else out there. That is not, as a people of God, that is not meant to be what our lives are meant to look like. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Guys, when, when the watching world looks into your life, when the watching world looks into your family's home, into this church, what do they see? When, when they see the way that you spend your time and your resources and your gifts and your talents, when they see the few fleeting moments that you are, that you are spending on this planet, does it cause them to, to ask questions, <laughs> to, to ultimately look up to the one, to the source of your compassion? Does it cause them to look to Jesus? Because that's the kind of life that he's called us to, a life of remarkable compassion. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this church. God, I thank you for already the impact that it has made across the East Bay and beyond. God, we pray for more. We pray for more. God, we pray that more people enter into uh, love and care and stability. But more than that, we pray for more people to enter into the kingdom. God, we pray that we'd see more people experience your love and ultimately see that you are a God that loves them, that values them, and that, that you are a God that we can trust. God, I pray... Um, that you'd be with each person here today in this room, God, that you'd be stirring in our hearts. God, I pray for both clarity and courage, clarity to know how you might be calling us to move towards those in need around us, whether that's with Foster the City or if it's just a friend or family member nearby that needs, that needs, that needs some support. God, I pray that you would give us clarity, open our eyes to where you're calling us to go. And then I pray for courage. 
God, we know that there's a cost involved when we move towards the vulnerable. So God, we pray that you give us the courage to make the sacrifices needed to be able to move in love towards those that you care so deeply about. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.